Here it comes. Welcome to 514 Church. Welcome to everyone online. There's tens of people. That's a joke. There should be more than tens, but there's probably only tens. I would imagine that the bandwidth for the World Wide Web is bigger than that, and we could get more people online, but for some reason, not, not anyone cares. Um, anyway, for those of you who do care, we're glad you're here. Guys, can we give them a big hand for everyone that's watching online? Uh, it's the future, man, right through that camera right there. Right there. We see you. Go tell somebody. How's everybody doing today? I have a new visual. Did you get it? We call like what I put up here visuals for messages. This is a visual. Do you see the play on words? Did we all get dumber in 2018? I mean, what is happening? When I was a student, I went to this like thing for students at a church where we went out into this like field and it was awful, horrific. I was out there camping. For those of you that know me, you know I hate camping because I don't like to get dirty and cold and, and sleep on the ground. And so we went there and we went to this, we, me and my buddy Nate like left the group and we went out into this field and we just were talking and we were having this conversation. We went through a cornfield and then we went into this, we went over this fence and as we were walking, we were talking about, you know, how we were probably the most popular guys in school and we didn't know why anyone didn't know that. And then we were talking about how 311 was probably like as good as, I don't know, Nirvana and the Beatles and it was silly that people didn't know that. We were just having this really transcendent conversation. You know what I mean? Like high school boys do. And suddenly, while we were walking, we looked over to the left, right to the left. Like we were walking straight and we looked to the left. You guys know what I mean when you're walking and you look to the left? You guys know what that looks like? That happens. You're just walking, you look to the left. And to my left, there was a bull, a giant bull with horns. And me and Nate were just stopped in our track like an episode of Scooby-Doo. And it was like, ah! And we looked at the bull, and I am not kidding, the bull like squared up like it was a linebacker. And it like, you know, like got some athletic position, and it started to stomp its feet and snort its nose, and steam came out of its mouth, even though it was summer. And, and we looked at this bull, and I kid you not, like it like, it was like, and we knew it was gonna come after us. And then the bull just like started to run after us. So we took off. Like we're like running for this fence. We're just like running. And my buddy Nate, who was a little bit slower than me and shorter, and he fell and I picked him up and I'm like, dude, the bull's right behind you. And we just keep running. We're like, like we're like a scene from a, like a war movie. And then like I grab him and throw him over this fence and I jump over the fence and the bull like slams into the side of the fence. And then we're standing there and we're just laughing. We're like, oh my gosh, we almost got killed by a bull. And then we just couldn't believe it. We had our lives back, our whole like world changed. We couldn't believe we made it from the bull. And we went back to the other students that were camping and they were like, where were you guys? Where were you guys? We were like, we told them this story, just like I told you. We, we like animated it. Nate pretended to be the bull. And we just like told this story and they were all listening and they were just like, that's amazing, you almost got killed by a bull. And the best part of the whole story is none of it happened. 
It didn't happen at all. We went on a walk. We got lost. We ran into a fence where there was a bull on the other side. And here's what actually happened. The bull peed. And if you've, raise your hand if you've ever seen a bull pee. Dude, it's like Niagara Falls. It's just like, it is mesmerizing to watch a bull pee. It's like, it's like that round, it's like it all drops at once. Wash. And we're just like, we were blown away by the bull. And then while we were walking back, we started to like evolve the story of the bull. And we made up a bull story. And we told it. And people to this day still believe it. And that actually is the origin of where people say, you know, that story sounds like bull. That's not true either. That's a lie. That's bull. Listen, it's amazing how something in your mind can control you and control people around you. You can believe whatever you want. You can make stuff up. People can stay, say stuff to you, and you can live in that reality. Nate and I had got to the point where we had made this story so real that sometimes when we get together, we're like, we laugh. We're like, I think that really happened, didn't it? And we both know it didn't, but we want to live in the fact that it did because it's so fun. So we tell this story even though it didn't happen. Now, a lot of you are new at church, and you're going, this guy's a liar, we are, this is a pastor who is just up there lying. Listen, this is the way that lies work. They become real. Lies become our lives. If we don't listen to the truth, lies direct our path. And I have met people who are living in a lie. They are living in a nightmare. There are people in this world who believe that they are someone that they were told they were, whether it's true or not, when they were five years old, when they were seven years old, they're living this lie. There are people in this world that are told they're God's greatest gift to men or women, and they think they are, and it's a lie. There are people that live with lies that are negative about themselves, and there are people who live with lies that are positive about themselves, and all of it is just a bunch of bull. There are people in this room who something happened to you, something traumatic, maybe something continuous, something repetitive, that was wrong, it was immoral, it was unethical, it was hurtful, and it broke you, it hurt you. And to this day, you believe you are that person. Have you ever met someone who looks just, just like anyone else, a healthy, happy individual? And after you get to know them a little bit, they start to tell you what they're feeling inside, their self-esteem, their self-worth, their value. And they look at you and they say, I don't think I'm worth anything. I wake up every day depressed. I'm living my life thinking that no matter what happens, I'm no one. I know some people are sitting in this room feeling that because of something that happened to them or was said to them, over the past years of their life, they believe that they are not important. You know, the psychologists that study self-esteem and value, they say that what happens in our lives when we believe these horrible, these horrible deceitful um, messages that we get from our parents or from people or from circumstances, 
They say that it literally destroys our future. That we should start to isolate ourselves, that we connect ourselves in relationships with people who kind of reinforce bad thinking. That we like practice self-harm when we believe these negative lies. And that we actually like uh, don't care for ourselves. Like we, we stop actually like self-care and like taking care of ourselves and showering and that ultimately when someone believes that they are a certain way because of what they were told growing up, that it just like ruins their entire life. And the sad thing about that is that every person in this room and every person on the planet is created for a beautiful, wonderful destiny that is a result of you knowing who you really are, not a bunch of lies that you've been told about yourself. I met this week with a man who goes to our church, amazing guy who I had seen and, and didn't know real well, but got to know him just in the hallways and out at food truck day and just got to know him and just thought, what a cool guy. Like, this guy looks amazing. And I got a text on New Year's, New Year's Eve, maybe the night before New Year's Eve, that he had checked himself into rehab again and that he was contemplating suicide and I thought, man, what in the world is it that this guy thinks he wants to take his own life? So I went to see him on New Year's Day. I went, I went to, to this rehab facility, and there he was in there. And when he saw me, he couldn't believe that I came to see him. And I, I sat down with him, and I said, what has got you to this point? Like, what, why are we here? What, what has caused this? And he, he went on to tell me that some things happened to him when he was nine. He lost his parents that he was abused and did uh, horrible things, made horrible decisions, was in and out of prison, didn't have his license until he was 37 years old, went on to describe things that were said about him, things that happened to him, things that were done to him, and things that he did that basically got him to a point in his life where he looked at me and said, I just don't want to live anymore. And I'm sitting there going, at face value, I mean, I just... I don't know what it is. Maybe I have a different lens. Maybe I see people differently because when I looked at him, I thought, this guy has everything. This is a great guy, but he couldn't see it. And he has this whole world in front of him and all these people that depend upon him. And he's like, I got to figure this out because I got to keep going. And he's fighting. He met Christ. So he's starting to think that maybe there's more. But this, this overwhelming power of what he believed about his value and I sat and listened to him say this, and I, and I thought, this is bull, man. I wanted to tell him, like, that's not you. You're not what you did. You're not what they did. You're not what happened to you. That's not you. You're, you're, you're this entity in and of yourself that's wonderful and beautiful. Why don't, oh, I want to shake him. There's an amazing author and speaker named Christine Kane, and she travels all over the world, and she has an amazing story to tell, and you should go look her up. Christine Kane, two C's. Yes, amazing story to tell, and she will fire you up, homie. I don't know. She will fire you up. She will. Like, she is amazing, and, and her story comes from that of great challenge and great, great suffering. And so from that birth and grew this amazing message, and her, her message comes from uh, she was adopted, and she didn't know it for years and years and years. In the family that she was adopted into, she was sexually abused for years and years and years. And ultimately, through that process, she believed in this wicked 
wicked lie called shame where everything about you, you and your past and everything you are basically says you're wrong, not what you do. You, you at a fundamental level are broke and you lack value and you lack worth. And really what that is is it's this infiltration of the things that happened to her beating against the reality of her heart telling her that she's not valuable. And so it took her a really long time to overcome and start to see that despite what had been done to her and what had happened and what she did and what people said and what, what she experienced, that God had a great plan and destiny for her life and that those lies were getting in the way of that. The, that bull was tripping her up. And she tells that story in one of her books. She, she says it this way. It's just gracious. Fulfilling our destiny and realizing our potential all begins in our mind. That's why the devil tries to bombard our thinking. Clap it up. Because it's true. And the reason you're clapping is because you know that the difference between your destiny is a battle between your ears. It's a, it is. It is. And God wants to like take some lies and chuck them away and call them bull forever. And he wants to put the truth in your mind and let that drive you. Listen, some of us in the room are like Tom Brady. You're like, who, where is he? Tom Brady, you could go watch, uh, did a, a story on in 60 Minutes where he he, after three Super Bowls, sat down in an interview and said, I am not fulfilled. I don't know, there's got to be more. Because what he did is what so many of us do, and you might be doing this just more, more incrementally, but you believe that your success, not the bad things that happen to you, but the good things that you do determine who you are. And he went, he went down that wormhole. He, he went down the rabbit hole, and he learned after three Super Bowls, I, that is not the truth. My value doesn't come from my performance. My value doesn't come from my successes. I don't know if he ever has figured it out yet. But he says he hasn't. And some of you are in here today, and you live. You live. And you feel value based upon positive reinforcement of a behavior or what someone says or perceives about you or something that's been done to you or something that you do, you live in it. And it's so dangerous because it's just a poison that you feed on. Performance, success, acclamation, recognition feeds you. And ultimately you build a straw man, you build a sand castle of your value out of your works and one day it will get knocked down in some way, shape, or form, and everything you've built will go away. You can put it this way. Some of us feel no value, and some of us feel faux value. Some of us are somewhere right in the middle, draw a line. You're like, I don't, Joel, this isn't an extreme for me. I'm just living in like the day-to-day, -day and I feel pretty good, and I have minor ups and minor downs, and I just go through it. You're living in something even more dangerous. It's called safety and caution. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be safe or cautious. I'm saying that your security is in not screwing up and doing things well enough. And if you can be average or above average and you live in that and you don't step on anyone's toes and you don't upset the apple cart and you save enough and do, 
you're thinking that's good. And ultimately, what pride does, it has the ability to get behind that, put handles on it, and make that how you get your value. And so, so many of us are living in this thing of our value is connected to what we do, to what we've done, to what's been done, to what we don't do, to what they said, to what they say. Some of you are in here today, and in your mind, you hear this ringing. And it's like a tuning fork in that it it penetrates your bones. You don't hear it articulated. You experience it. You hear this. You feel you're not important. You have a lens in your life that no matter what happens, what comes at you gets translated through some filter of your value, of you're not important, and it's because of what happened to you. And if that happened to me, then I cannot be good. Here's what we all do, and, and what we, 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 we have to wrestle with this. You see, we connect the do to who. You take who you are and say, what I do defines me. And man, we live in a society that props that up and gives that two thumbs up and says, if you do well, you're valuable. And then we even believe, well, isn't value measurable? So if I make a lot of money, that's value. And it's a dangerous place to live. And then some of us are just going, I could never be valuable because of not what I do, but what was done to me. I was raped, I was molested, I was verbally abused, I was physically abused, I was emotionally abused, I was in a horrific divorce, I lost a child, I lost a friend, I lost a job. Something happened and it's like, what happened defines me. And here's this this truth, this value bull series is all about getting rid of the bull of our value and accepting the truth of God. You guys, God does not attach the do to who. God loves you for you. God loves you for you. Just you. Just the way you are. He just loves you. He just cares about you. You see, what I want you to get is a new foundation for your identity in this series. And ultimately, it's about who you are. And when you understand who you really are or whose you really are, then you will experience true value the way that God designed you. And so this is what I want you to understand, and I want us to say this. I am who God says I am. Everybody say that. Say it louder. It is not what happened to you. That doesn't decide who you are. You are not what happened to you. You are not what you've done. You are not what you haven't done. You are not what they said. You are not what they are saying. You're none of those things. You are exclusively who God says. And when you get that, it gets crazy. It gets crazy because you start to live this experience. You start to live this, this life L-I-F-E, that God created you to live. Let me tell you today that you, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you were created in the image of God. The image of God. I, I was watching Planet Earth 
this new thing, if there's a, the second one is on Netflix, and I was watching the Ibex, and I was watching the Penguins, and I was watching the Komodo Dragons. Lord have mercy, all of them have tongues and teeth and eyes and some type of hand or tail. They all have all these things, and you look at you and you go, wow, we look like them. There is a divine order in creation, and ultimately, physically, you were created in the image of God. You were. He made you, and when he made you first, the scriptures didn't say it was good. It says it was very good, which is Hebrew for amazing. I don't know that. I just made that up. It sounds close. You are amazing. The scriptures say you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And beyond your physical appearance, just the beauty of, think about the divine order. Snakes have eyeballs. So do you. What? There's no connection on the like whole genius species tree to snakes and people. They were all just created within the same seven days and given eyeballs because they're made in the image of God. Which means if you're made in the image of God, you reflect his value intrinsically. You, you reflect it. The creator of the world, ultimate value. No pride, no brokenness, just totally satisfied understanding who he is. That's it. That's the way you're supposed to be. And you were created to walk and talk with God. When God created it in Adam and Eve in the scriptures, the story, the way it goes, is that they walked and talked, spent time together. And that they looked at one another and they saw, you're God and I look like you. We look alike. Ah, you did that. You made this tree. What's, I, I, what can I make? You see, ultimately, you're supposed to be an image bearer of God and God created you, which means you have just the same level of intentional destiny that God had when he created you. That he made you as a reflection of who he is to be able to speak things into existence, to make things with your hands, to do something that's exclusively you. Tell me that's not valuable. Tell me that doesn't have purpose. That's just the physical image. God created you in the image of himself in an eternal sense. You are an eternal being. The scriptures say, I need to calm down because I have a cold. I'm going to ruin my voice. The scriptures say that eternity was written on your heart. What that means is that you, when you were born, your spirit meshed with your body, and you were given in that moment a lifelong, eternal, spiritual battery. The outside might die, but your spirit will never die. Never. You will never actually cease to exist. God displays how much he loves us for who we are just because of the image that we are made in, in the garden. As soon as he gave them the garden, here's the story of, of, of the Bible. God gave them this big jungle, this big garden. He said, don't do this one thing you shouldn't do. As soon as they did, the relationship between God and man was fractured, severed, broken, icky, bad, and the garden turned into Jumanji. I mean, everything went bad. Everything went crazy. 
Everything went crazy. And, and the people from the very beginning, because of the devil, because of lies, just maybe you don't believe in the devil, there's a thing called lies. It's the opposite of truth. Because of the things that they thought about themselves when they broke the one rule, the scriptures say that they ran and they hid from God. They hid from him. They, they, they went to hide. Why? Because of what they did. They attached from the very beginning who to do. I am what I do. And God comes walking back into Jumanji. He walks back in and he goes and he asks one question that says everything about how he views you. You can read this in Genesis. He walks through and he says, where are who? You. Where are you? Right away, God comes back looking for you, looking for you. Why? Because God loves you for who you are, not what you do. Because God loves you for what he says you are, not what they say you are. God loves you for what he says you are, not what they say they are. His words have power. Those are poison. He loves you for you, man. Where are you? I'm looking for you. You don't think God when he showed back up in the garden, you don't think he didn't know what they already did? He punished them for what they did. He corrected them for what they did. And ultimately, he went on a lifelong mission, a life-surrendering, sacrificing, sacrificing mission to restore the broken relationship back to what it was intended to be from the beginning. But ultimately... God says, here's who you are. This author, Christine Kane, she didn't know she was adopted until later in her life. And when she looked back on her life, she went, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know who I am. Imagine that experience. You don't know you're adopted, then you're abused. Who am I? I don't know who my parents were. I was abused. and I mean, I, I must be a worthless person that no one cares about. And when she learned that she was adopted, this is, what, this is what she says because she knows this truth. Even though I only just found out that I was adopted, God has always known and he has always loved me. And since that has never changed, nothing has essentially changed. Nothing changed. I may not be who I thought I was, but I still am who he says I am. I am more. I am loved. I am his. You and I have to go on this journey of figuring out the truth about ourselves. And that will unlock your destiny. I know, I know. You have to figure this out. And it's your job to do it. Now, I'm going to take you for a minute to teach you about your true value by teaching you a theological idea called justification. Justification. And this is something we learn in seminary, and it's something you can go Google and look up what it means. But the word justification, it means to be declared righteous. So what I just described to you is that you and I are created in the image of God, and that we are image bearers, and therefore our value is intrinsic because we represent the God who created us, who's perfect and has ultimate value. Now, sin enters into it. We believe for the rest of our lives that that sin represents our identity, but it doesn't. It's just dust on a beautiful piece of art. And what God did is he sent his son to wipe the dust off and do a lot more to restore you to your full potential so you can reach your destiny. So I'm gonna teach you 
justification, theology, using emojis, something that I'm coining in 2018, emology. All right, so this is Christ, obviously, goes without saying, and this is us. Some of you could do a lot worse. This is, this is us. We're born perfect. Sin mars us and turns us into enemies of God. That's what the scriptures teach. Jesus Christ is perfect. I want you to just let something resonate with you for a minute. Jesus Christ is perfect. You see, the scriptures talk about how Adam, being the first man, he entered and he was perfect, but when he sinned, every person became like him because we're all descendants of Adam. So if we all stand in line, we're all this purple emoji. And then Jesus comes and he's perfect. Why? Because he's born in this divine way of a virgin and he is sinless, spotless. And so ultimately, you might think, well, wait a minute, I'm not like this and he's not, whatever. You are like this because of the way you were born. You were born with a sin nature, which means you have fallen short of God's perfection and Jesus is his perfection. So you and I are different from that. And Jesus Christ came to this earth to come and fix and change us. Change away this sin thing. Not, not who we are, take away the problem of separation and sin. And so a lot of us, when we realize that our sins are wiped away, actually, the idea of justification is this idea of erasing and then replacing. Erasing and then replacing. So what we usually do is we get caught up in the erasing, and we think, oh, if you're a Christian, you grew up, you learned justification. You went, I'm so glad my sins are wiped away. Holler. My sins are wiped away. Parade, PTL. See, no more church jokes because people don't go to church. So the... <clears throat> We get to this point and we think, I'm so glad my sins are wiped away. And some of you are in here and you continue to do this pattern of, of representing brokenness. You continue to do the thing you shouldn't do. Or you kind of just live in the fact that I'm so glad my past was wiped away. That you're just basically like, I, I made it. I barely made it, but I made it. I made it through. But actually, here's the beautiful part about justification where we normally stop, but we have to move on to understand our value. You see, when we were saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus did something incredible in order to make that happen. He didn't just wipe away our sins. In fact, he became a sacrifice, a replacement, a substitution for your sin and mine. Ultimately, the scriptures say that him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Jesus became sin for you. He took all of the sin of the world on him and it was crucified on the cross. And you and I are sitting over here looking pretty. And it's not just that we got our sins wiped away. It's actually that this erase part started with the cross and then replaced with resurrection. We actually became like Jesus. In God's eyes, he didn't just wipe away our sins. He made it as if we never sinned. You see, I grew up, I learned justification this way. Here's a way to remember you've been justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. But all that does is say, clean slate. The truth of justification is that when you were saved, he wiped away your sin and he made you like him. So it's not just as if I'd never sinned. God actually sees you. Everyone online, everyone in this room, listen to this. This is how God sees you. He sees you as if you've always obeyed. 
That's how he looks at you. He looks at you like he sees his son. That's the story of justification. He looks at you and goes, you are like my son. Listen to this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And of course, this story all gets God from heaven sitting on the throne going, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty sweet. I didn't just wipe it away. I copied and pasted his righteousness and imputed it, gave it, stamped it on you. My friends, that is who you are. Not what you do. Not not what's been said. Not what you did. Not what you're doing. Not what they say. Not your performance. Not your success. Not your failures. None of that. You're what God the Father says you are. Everything else is valuable. I'm trying to make a point. Dude, Jesus Christ comes to earth. Perfect. You understand the picture? He is God in the flesh. 30 years, perfection. Never sins. Never does anything wrong. Ever. He does a bunch of miracles after what I'm about to show you. Before Jesus does the salvation mission purpose of his like trip to planet Earth, before he does that, he does something that's amazing and God shows us how valuable, valuable we are through this picture. Jesus, before he goes and starts to do any miracles, do any cross, do any resurrection, he goes down into a, a piece of water and he's baptized. In that, in that context, baptism it represented a phase change for a Hebrew boy or a Hebrew person. Phase change, new, new step of life. All throughout the, the Jewish life, they had these different seasons at their ages. And they were marked with these moments. And this was what baptism was. Jesus goes into the water and God speaks from heaven about his son who's just been alive 30 years but hasn't done anything yet. Look what he says. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God loves his son. Why? Because he's his son. God loves Jesus. Why? Because he's his boy. He's, his, he's the reflection of himself. He doesn't love Jesus after he raises from the dead. He doesn't come out of the grave and God opens up in heaven and says, now this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God decided to show us that value isn't about what you do by telling us how much he loves his son and calling you his child. What? This is profound, life-changing stuff. Change this verse for you. And a voice from heaven is saying today, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love, with you. I am well pleased with you. I'm well pleased right now. One of the disciples of Jesus said it this way, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called, say it, children of God. 
And that is what we are. Everybody say this. Say, I am who God says I am. Say it. I am who God says I am. He calls you his child and he loves you for who you are. Not for your past. Not for your future. For who you are. And so I decided to to make a New Year's high resolution. And start to look at the world differently. And I've been wearing these glasses all day. And I have to be honest, you all look a little bit better than normal. And it's because I think there's something physical in the life lesson of actually putting a lens over your, your face to see things differently. And this is not just an idea where God sees us um, kind of optimistically. God sees us honestly for who we are. And he sees us through rose-colored glasses. He sees us forgiven. He sees us loved. He calls us his children. And so what I thought, I've never really started a movement of really any significance. But maybe we could do something as a church. Anybody have social media? Raise your hand. This week, go to a store and put on a pair of rose-colored glasses and take a picture and then post it somewhere and use 514 Rose Resolution. And, like, if you break them, buy them, but otherwise just put them back. These were $15. Listen, you guys, this, this thing, I'm, I want you guys to just run with this and post. I already had some people do it. What I'm teaching you is extremely difficult to experience. You see, a lot of us don't experience this, and I'm going to talk about that over the next couple weeks. Understanding this is just the beginning of a whole journey of how to make sure that the messaging and that the people in your life help reinforce the truth and the discipline that comes with that. And that's what we're gonna talk about over the next couple of weeks. And if you're sitting in here today and you think this doesn't apply to me, I want you to ask this question as handles to go away. What determines your feeling of self-worth? God uses feelings. Feelings follow your thoughts and your actions. If you don't have the fire inside you raise up because of who God calls you to be and who he says you are, then you have placed your value in something that he doesn't want you to. And my hope and prayer for you is that over this next couple weeks that you will lean a different way and your life will end up completely differently. Let's pray. God, I want to pray for everybody in this room. Father, that that you would just move into the minds of students that are living in this do mentality. God, get that out of their mind. Help them to rest in who you call them. I pray for moms and dads who are just in the grind of parenting that their bad parenting or their slipped up parenting or their ultra successful parenting would just move outside of where they gain their self-worth. Help them to find it in you. God, I pray for CEOs that are living at the, you know, just at the kind of the the mercy of of the stock market and the, the bottom line. God, get rid of that truth. Help them to find their center in you and you alone. Father, I pray for someone in this room right now who's been abused. And there is a lie like a pitchfork in their mind overwhelming them right now. No matter what they do, they see themselves as worthless. I pray that they would start to see themselves through rose-colored glasses. They would see themselves the way that you see them. And speak this truth to their life right now. God is well pleased with you. He is well pleased with everyone in this room. 
You are his son. You are his daughter. He is pleased. He loves you. Help us to make a huge separation between what we do and who we are and the rest and who you say we are. In Jesus' name, amen.